All right. Do you hear now the reading of God's word this morning? Psalm 108. You can follow along in your bulletin uh, or in your own Bible. Psalm 108. My heart is steadfast, O God, and I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, and I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That your, loved on, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness... With exultation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter, Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray once more, and we'll go deeper into this. Gracious God, we pray that you would teach us from this text today. We pray that it would be deeply relevant and applicable to our life, even though it was written all these years ago. So may the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So it is Missions Emphasis Sunday. Again, we're going to do this about four times a year going forward, um, which is really exciting because our, as we'll explain later, our church has such a strong missions DNA, global DNA, uh, which we'll explain later. But you know, we've used the term mission or missions already a couple of times today, and it's worth just focusing on that for a second. What even exactly is missions in the sense that we're using it? And so famously, um, Jesus in Matthew 28, after his resurrection, and right before he was going to ascend back up into heaven after 40 days appearing to his disciples and showing evidence of his resurrection, Jesus, in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, gives his famous Great Commission. And this is where missions was born for the people of God after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember always that I'm with you, even to the end of the age. And with that, he ascended into heaven. That was his parting words to the church, this new church that he was forming. In another gospel, John 20, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me into the world, Jesus, into the world to bring salvation and hope for the nations, even so I am sending you now into the world. So what Jesus was given from the Father, Jesus now gives to us his beloved sons and daughters, to go and do his same sending work. To be, to be on mission is to be sent by God, to be an ambassador for him everywhere. 
And then of the Apostle Paul, just to show that it's more than just Jesus, but it's the whole church that then picked up this mantle. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10 said, how, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So that's why we do this. Because we are sent by God and Jesus to be on mission to take his beautiful gospel to the ends of the earth. And so that all people can hear and therefore by hearing can believe in the good news of Jesus. So missions, all that to say, is a huge reason of why the church exists. You know, one, one quote there is by a guy named Emil Bruner. He says, the church exists by mission just as fire exists by burning. Which again, fire alarms, we've had too much of that going on. But the metaphor fits. Fire exists by burning. So, so too the church exists by mission. Meaning that if there's no mission in the church, then we're really not even technically existing, if we're taking that literally. Or as another theologian said, Jesus did not give a mission to his church. He formed a church for his mission. So Jesus and God have a mission. They want to see the ends of the earth, know the one true living God, and to find soul satisfaction in his name, to find life to the full. So they might live in lockstep and in harmony with his pleasure and his goodwill in the world. That's, that's what God wants in the world. And he could have done it himself. But instead, he formed a church for his mission so that we might be willing and joyful participants in it. And so this church, First Baptist Church of Salem, was like every other church in human history, birthed or planted out of missionary DNA. Even before this church helped send Adoniram Judson in 1812, which is kind of the famous thing this church has become known for, even before that, there was a a small group of people in the beautiful seaside community of Danvers, Massachusetts, of which I'm now a resident, that had a heart to plant a church in the city of Salem in 1804. So the First Baptist Church of Danvers said, we want Salem to have every opportunity to hear the gospel as we do. And so we want to help plant a church there. And they did. From what I understand, it was a small group of women who began praying. And then slowly they began to form a church. And they met in a house on Cambridge Street in Salem. And then eventually, years later, they built a church on Federal Street. And many of you were born into that church and grew up in that church. And then in 2007, we moved here. And the mission of God advances through us. Because every church is born out of missionary DNA. Churches that do not understand that they exist for God's mission eventually begin to wilt and die. Because as fire exists for burning, so churches exist for mission. And so as one famous missionary, David Livingstone, has said, the best cure for a sick church is a missionary diet. And so part of the conviction that Bob Dibbs had several years ago and that I have as well and that many of you have also is that we want to continually to be feeding on the missionary diet of what it means to be sent by God for a distinct purpose. So that's what missions is. And that's why we're doing missions emphasis four times a year going forward. 
However, with all that being said, the church exists for more than missions. And that's what Psalm 108 helps lead us into. What more could there be after that grand big vision? I was giving myself chill bumps by explaining what missions was. How could there be more than that? As John Piper says, who also has the quote on the front of the bulletin, but another quote by John Piper, he says, the only reason missions exists at all is because worship does not exist. So more than missions, the reason that the church exists is for the worship of the one true living God. Missions must only be a means to a deeper and greater end. Worship of the living God who is worthy of all praise because of what he has done for us. He made the whole world and you and me so that we might live in lockstep harmony with his beautiful design. And so I, I saw something this week on the internet, which is true, I think. Um, I don't believe everything you read on the internet, but I, I saw a video of this. There's evidence of it, that in Hungary, the nation of Hungary, there's a highway where they have rumble strips set up in certain ways on the right side of the highway to where if you're driving at the exact right speed, it'll actually play a song on the rumble strips if you hit it in the right rhythm at the right speed. And it's really cool. It's a really amazing thing. It's about a mile long and it plays a song that you can hear through the rumble strips. However, in order to have that song come out, you have to be driving the right speed, right? Which is, it's a beautiful thing by the Hungarians to learn how to get people to follow the speed limit, you know, to not go too fast or too slow. But you can see the point maybe for us when it comes to living in lockstep harmony with God's design, that if we go too fast, which is what most modern Americans live their life, modern young Americans live their life probably too fast, or if you're going too slow maybe and are apathetic maybe to what God is doing in the world or what his deeper purpose is, then you're not going to hear the music. You're not going to find the joy of hearing and seeing and feeling and experiencing what God wants you to hear and feel and experience in his good world. So today, how do we worship the Lord with all of our being, as verse 1 says? You know, I will sing and make melody with all my whole being. How do we do that? And how do we go at the right speed that God has for us? So let me give you just a couple of things to chew on um, before we go to the end of our service and lean into missions a little bit more. Verses 1 and 2 say, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, and I will awake the dawn. More than missions, like I said, is worship, but more than missions is firstly a heart that sings, a heart that just is alive with joy that comes from being in lockstep with the Creator. Life is more than, but certainly not less than, having a great purpose to live for. And so if missions is the purpose of the church, or a huge purpose of the church, that's wonderful. It's great for us to learn strategically how to have a purpose as a church or as Christians to be on mission. But life has to be more than that. It actually has to be something where our, our heart begins to sing. So again, like having a great job or a purpose statement or actively serving in your church or even being a missionary like some of you are or some of you have been is an amazing thing. 
having that kind of purpose and strategic intentionality with your life. But life more so is about a heart that burns with joy because of what God has done for you and me specifically. So verse one, it says, my heart is steadfast, which to me just means this is a heart that is fixed on joy, a heart that is fixed on the purposes of God, that is unshakably committed to the contentment that God has given this person. It's a heart that has found the truest joy they can find, and they'll do anything they can to protect it and not let that go. My heart is steadfast. And therefore, because that heart is steadfast, he sings. He makes music. He awakes the day. He awakes the dawn with music. It almost implies that like the world's not even awake yet, but, but he wakes up with a song on his lips and in his heart that, that wakes up the world because he's excited because of the joy that God has given him. You know, John Calvin says that there's not one blade of grass, there is not one color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. Everything around us is designed by God to bring us into deep joy. Everything around us. And so it's a great time for us to just consider is, is your life in that kind of technicolor where you're walking around seeing every blade of grass, every color, every beautiful thing, and it's making you your heart sing? Or is your life kind of faded into dull color, or even black and white. More joy is offered to you than you can possibly imagine. You know, having a a wonderful, loving spouse, or comfortable circumstances, or fun hobbies that make you laugh and make you have fun, those are all great things. But true satisfaction, true contentment, true joy, true life itself is only offered to you in the fullest sense by the creator himself, the one who designed the whole world for your joy, to know him and to be known by him. You know, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Psalm 1611. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love the Boston Celtics, but they drive me crazy too. And so there's got to be a deeper contentment than just those things. Even this puppy that we're about to get that my girls are excited about. There's got to be deeper joy than that. And it's the presence of the living God. To know God. To meet him. To have him. To to know that you are known deeply by him. That's, That's the deepest purpose we can have in life. Is to know and be known by the creator of all things. That deep relationship. And so again as... Again, I'm just giving you some of my favorite missions quotes today. But Leslie Newbegin has just one that... Um, I watched the movie Oppenheimer this week, which maybe you've heard about. Um, but it's all about the, the atom bomb and just the, the fallout from that. But this, this quote made me think of it because he, he says this. He said, The church's mission began as the radioactive fallout from an explosion of joy. So it's almost like Jesus came, died our death, rose from the dead. That was the explosion that came into the world. And it was an explosion of joy for all people to find salvation, to know that it's not about your good works. It's not about 
not about trying to be the best person. It's not about how, how best you can follow the law. It's not about how many times you can go to church consecutively. It's about receiving the grace of Jesus who died in your place. That brings joy to the whole world, not just for one nation, but for the whole world. And that's an explosion of joy. And then from the radioactive fallout of that, the mission emerges that you and I get to go and share that good news, share that freedom of how life can be found to the full. Just awesome. That should make your heart sing. So that's point number one. Point number two, the next thing that is deeper or more than missions is if you look at verse three, it's, it's a mouth that sings, right? So the first one was a heart that sings, just like your heart is totally captured and captivated by what God has done. But nextly, something actually has to come out of your mouth. So verse three, he says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. So life has to be more than, but certainly again, not less than, just simply sharing the good news of Jesus. Like many people have stood up here over the years and said, you know, the purpose of the church is so that you can share the gospel with other people in words. You know, so take what you hear in a sermon or from a Bible study and then go and share that with others for the hope of the world. That's great. It's great to share the gospel with others as much as you can. You should give financially to missionaries, which we'll talk a little bit about later, to go to hard places where people have never heard the gospel. But that in and of itself, again, is not life's deepest fulfillment. So again, if missions begins with a kind of explosion of joy, Newbegin goes on to say, he says, the news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? And so for us, even deeper than simply just communicating the good news, it actually, there's a difference between just speaking something and singing something. And the nuance here I'm getting into is the beauty of it. The key words here are among the peoples or among the nations. Your heart must explode with joy that comes into your mouth and then resounds with a an authentic and genuine expression of what the good news of Jesus has done for you so that it just has to overflow into the world. To the point where people should be looking at your life, even when you're not trying to share the gospel, even when you're not trying to to communicate a religious truth, people should be spending time with you and saying, I don't know where that person gets that unmistakable joy, but I need that from that person. Whatever is causing that person to well up and to overflow with a a joyful song that seems to be on their lips continually, despite circumstances like Job that you learned about in the children's story, that people should be saying, how can I be like that person? Not perfect, but just deeply joyful. And your life will change many people around you just by you being authentic and expressing a genuine faith with joy through singing. And so we have greater potential now today, as technology rings, I was about to make a technology point. We have greater potential today through the gift of technology, cameras, cell phones, FaceTime. We have greater potential now for more people to hear the good news through our authentic selves than ever before. It's just an amazing opportunity that we have. So there's, there's one friend of ours 
that is on, uh, they live in Italy now. They're Brazilian born. They live in Italy. And this one person, uh, we're Facebook friends. I mean, we've, we're, we're real friends too, but we're also Facebook friends. But she genuinely shares her life on Facebook, like shares about her faith, shares about her ups and downs, shares about her greatest joys in a way that is so authentic that you can't be mad at it. Like, you know how it's easy to get mad about people posting things on social media. It's like, well, don't tell me what to do or how to live my life. Like with this person, you never get that impression. Even though I agree with what she's saying, you never get any of the comments saying, could you just stop talking about Jesus and how much you love him and how great he is? And the reason you don't see that on her Facebook page is because it's so real. It's so authentic. Her mouth is just singing with an, an inexpressible joy that she doesn't care. Like she's just saying, this is, this is my life and I love it because of what God has done for me. Number three, more than missions is a perspective that sings as well. Notice we're singing a lot in this psalm today. We're going to sing more in the service later as well. More than missions is a perspective that sings. Look at verses four and five. The key words in these verses are the word above. God is above it all. His steadfast love is above the heavens. His faithfulness reaches to the clouds. God is exalted above the heavens. Let his glory be over all the earth. So life is more than, but certainly not less than, simply your daily life circumstances or choices changing. So one of the great things about being a Christian is that you begin to see the world, like your little world, differently. And you begin to make different choices. You try to stop some bad habits. You try to do more positive, good things in the world. Like, those are great things to do. Like, that should be happening. It's the mark of a transformed life that Jesus is now living in your life. And you want to live your everyday life differently with the little choices you make. However, more so than just those daily little life changes, your big picture perspective about all things should change. Your perspective over the whole world should sing. So when you look across our wild and wacky roller coaster world today, you can still sing. Despite the politics, despite the war, despite the global warming, despite the diseases, despite anything that just makes you want to go crazy about what's happening in our wider big world, If you know Jesus and you're in lockstep with the creator, your big perspective of the world can sing. You can still look at the world and say, I know how the story ends. I know that the the perspective that I can have over this world is something that I can still take hope in. So there was, I read something this week of a guy who was flying in an airplane. And apparently this guy flies in airplanes fairly frequently, travels for work or something. But he says this, he said, once again, I find that I am among the five or six people on a packed airplane who care to look out the window at views unavailable to humankind for almost all of our history on earth. Think about that. Maybe a hundred people were on this airplane with him. And he said, just in the last a hundred years has mankind learned how to get 
thing of metal to fly in the sky. And it's only taken 100 years to completely take these views for granted that for the previous thousands of years, no one could ever have seen. And he said, now I'm, I'm among maybe five or six that are caring to look out the window and say, wow, look at the world. It's a big picture perspective that this person was able to live into. And so same for us. You know, we see God as over all the world, his faithfulness, his steadfast love, his glory. When we're able to see that God is in control of all things, worship occurs. Because we see, I didn't make this. A government didn't make this. An intelligent, beautiful creator who loves the world made this. And I can rejoice in that. My perspective will sing again. I don't have to mourn what's happening around the world. I can actually take, take great joy in what's happening around the world because I can trust that whoever made the world this beautiful will not let it go to utter decay. He wants to redeem it, and certainly he has. And so our whole, our whole perspective begins to change. It's now not just about being among the nations and sharing and singing the gospel among all peoples, but now it's just about seeing that God is the one who's above it all, who's in control of all things. And this leads into the last point, that more than missions is a promise that sings. You know, so Alan, a few weeks ago, delivered a beautiful sermon on the promises of God. You know, and I've, I've heard a few of you mention even in the last few weeks, just dwelling more on the, the richness that your life begins to receive when you remember the promises of God that are found throughout the scriptures. And so it's just a good reminder that life is more than, but again, certainly not less than, your one small single life. You know, life is not all about what happens through you alone or what difference you can make in your one single solitary short life. But life is bigger. And there's a promise that runs through the ages from beginning to end of God working all things for good and then ultimately making all things new. And so if you read verses 7 to 13, you, know, you see a lot, again, these Old Testament cities and tribes and names. Many of them are unfamiliar to you. But what you need, what you need to realize about most of these is that they were enemies of Israel. They were threats politically or militarily to the nation of Israel. And yet one of the interesting things is, one of the interesting things from this text comes from one of the most confusing statements in the text. So in verse 9, is it verse 9? Yes, verse 9, it says, Moab is my wash basin. Okay, that's a little strange. That's a nation. Moab is a nation. He's like, okay, Moab is my wash basin. And then it says, upon Edom, I cast my shoe. One day I'm going to preach a sermon just on that because it's just a, it just be a great sermon title. I cast my shoe. What does he mean there? Upon Edom, I cast my shoe. So first of all, Edom is an Old Testament tribe. And it goes way back to Jacob and Esau. And it became clear from the Jacob and Esau story going forward that Edom was opposing the people of God. So in one sense, outside of the promises of God through the Old Testament. So Israel was in the promise of God. They were the covenant people. Edom on the outside, kind of the evil you know, enemies lurking on the outside that are trying to destroy Israel. Okay. What does it mean that he cast his, God cast his shoe upon Edom? You know, maybe my first example was 
Kind of like when you're trying to kill a fly. You take off your shoe and you cast your shoe upon the fly. Illuminate the fly. And actually, the more I read into this this week, it's actually more about, it's a, it's a common idiom that was used in the ancient times of claiming an area for yourself. And so when it says, upon Edom, I cast my shoe, it's God saying, upon this enemy nation, I am claiming this land for myself. I'm claiming this people for myself. And so consistent with the early part of the psalm, it's actually God's way of saying the promises of God are even fulfilled and available to the enemies of God as well. And with that, the text unlocked for me of God's promises are unfailing. More than missions is a God who desires all nations to know him and to be part of receiving the promises of God available ultimately through the person of Jesus. And so when Jesus came and lived the perfect life, died the death that we deserved in our place and rose from the dead, he did so so that places like Edom could be part of the promises of God forever. And so that people far away from God even today will always have the chance to come back and to know God and to be known by him because God has cast his shoe upon each of us. We are his. We are claimed by his. That's what it means to be redeemed. I think Mike mentioned redemption last week and explained the meaning of the word. It means to claim back for yourself. And that's what God does for all people. God's promises for all people, even enemies, are those far away from him now. And so that's Psalm 108.